remain standing for the Gospel lesson, which is also the sermon text for this Lord's Day. Listen carefully to the Gospel of God. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For My flesh is food indeed, and My blood is drink indeed. He who eats My flesh and drinks My blood abides in Me, and I in Him. As the living Father sent Me, and I live because of the Father, so He who feeds on Me will live because of Me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He he who eats this bread will live forever. These things He said in the synagogue as He taught in Capernaum. As far the reading of God's Word, this is the Word of the Lord. Amen. Father, bless the reading and preaching and hearing of Your Word this hour. Give us ears to hear and hearts to do what Your Word says, what it teaches us. Convict us through Your Spirit working in us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Please be seated. If I could retitle the sermon in your bulletin, I might title it, You Are What You Eat. You Are What You Eat. As we get started here, I invite you again to open your Bible, to John 6, if you can, if your hands are free, open it to John 6, we'll spend most of our time there, we'll flip once or twice to another passage or two. We've heard all of our lives, at least I have, that we are what we eat, and to some degree this makes sense, doesn't it? Our bodies are physical, and they are sustained by the physical food that we put inside of them. Food is how our body grows and stays alive. So to some extent, our food will determine our health. When I was a kid, if I was eating too many cookies at Christmas time or some other festive time, my adult family members would remind me that if I eat too many cookies, I'm going to turn into a cookie. Of course, the idea behind that bit of fantastic folklore is that you are what you eat. 
You become what you eat. Now, whether or not that statement, you are what you eat, is true in the physical sense, it's absolutely true in the spiritual sense. Spiritually, you are what you eat. You become what you eat. Or to borrow the metaphor that Jesus uses in John 6, you are what you eat and drink. So the question that our text puts before us this morning is, what are you eating and drinking? Spiritually speaking. Another way to put it, and this may be an even better way to think of it, is you are what you hunger and thirst for. It's not just that you are what you eat and drink. The Bible backs it up even further and says that you are what you hunger and thirst for. Jesus says in Matthew 5-6 that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who long for God, those who crave Christ above all are blessed already. They're blessed by virtue of being hungry and thirsty for God and the righteousness of His kingdom. And they will always be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled or satisfied. Those who, hunger, those who are hungry and thirsty for Jesus are blessed in their hungering and blessed in their thirsting. So what do you hunger for? What do you thirst for? Now, to know what your soul hungers for and thirst for, all you need to do is look at what it's eating and drinking. What's it taking in? You, you will always eat and drink spiritually what your spirit longs for. If you long for Christ, you will partake of Christ. If you long for the things of this world, you, are, you will partake of the things of this world. It's that simple. So you can ask yourself some diagnostic questions. Where does your heart land more often? On temporal things or on eternal things? Are you drawn to Scripture as much as you are drawn to screens? Are you pursuing Christ as fervently as you are pursuing career or your social life? What sustains you? What drives you? What do you crave? What are you working for? What are your aims in life? What do you want most? What do you think about most? What do you daydream about most? What do you think you need the most? What do you imagine that would make you happy? Or the happiest? Where do you try to find joy? In other words, what does your soul hunger for? What does it thirst for and where do you go to try to find it? You are what you eat and drink. But you eat and drink what you hunger and thirst for. So at a more fundamental level, you are what you hunger and thirst for. Do you hunger and thirst for Christ and fellowship with Him most of all? If so, then you are filled. That's a promise. That's what Jesus says explicitly you are a satisfied person you are at peace you are at rest until you learn to hunger and thirst for christ most of all you will not know how to eat and drink of him 
And you will be restless and discontent and unsatisfied, unfilled, miserable day in and day out. That's where the people were who were following Jesus around the Sea of Galilee. The people following Jesus and listening to Him in John 6 did not hunger and thirst for righteousness. Their cravings were not spiritual. Their hunger pains went no further than their bellies. They followed Jesus. They they tracked Him down all the way to the other side of the Sea of Galilee after He had turned after he had multiplied the bread and fish, only because 24 hours later, uh, earlier he had, in fact, multiplied the bread and the fish miraculously. So if you have your Bible open to John 6, it's a long chapter. It's a big chapter. Look with me at the places where Jesus has repeatedly offered Himself to these people as spiritual food that gives eternal life and eternal satisfaction to all who eat of it. Look at John 6.27 first. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set His seal on Him. Verses 32 and 33, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but My Father gives you the true bread bread from heaven for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world verse 35 and Jesus said to them I am the bread of life he who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst verse 48 now we're in our passage today I am the bread of life verses 50 and 51 this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Then in verse 52, the Jews begin to argue with one another saying, how can he give us, how can this man say that he's going to give us his flesh to eat? But then rather than softening the blow, softening the metaphor to make it less offensive, Jesus goes on to make it more offensive. He changes the bread analogy to His flesh. And then He adds that in addition to eating His flesh, they'll drink His blood. That's what they need to do. That's what they must do. And then verses 53-57, to Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So he who feeds on me will live because of me. And then in verse 58, Jesus goes back to the bread analogy. This is the bread which came down from heaven. As your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. I read that wrong. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. So in almost every single verse of our passage today, Jesus mentions at least once, sometimes more than once, eating bread, eating His flesh, partaking of His flesh and blood. 
And then in verse 59, John mentions that Jesus spoke these things at the synagogue in Capernaum. Now, in Matthew 11, you don't have to turn there, but in Matthew 11, Jesus lamented Capernaum's rejection of Him. He says in Matthew 11, 23 and 24, And you, Capernaum, who are exalted in heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. On judgment day, it will be worse for the people in Capernaum than for the people in Sodom because the people from Capernaum saw Jesus. They witnessed His signs. They heard Him and saw Him. And yet they did not eat His flesh. They did not drink of His blood when He offered it to them. And we need to make sure that we know what Jesus means when He says that our eternal destiny, not just Capernaum's eternal destiny, but our eternal destiny depends on whether we eat His flesh and drink His blood. This is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. We don't want to follow Capernaum into judgment. But there's another group of people in this passage that we don't want to imitate. You'll notice the one verse I didn't read is verse 49. So look at verse 49. This people group that I'm talking about shows up in verse 49. We don't want to follow the way of the Hebrews in the wilderness. Jesus says in verse 49, your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. Now, obviously they're physically dead, but this points to something beyond just their physical death. After all, the people who do eat and drink of Christ are going to physically die too. We are going to physically die. So this points beyond just the physical death of these Hebrew fathers. The Hebrews in the wilderness, they ate the manna, which was spiritual food, Paul says. We'll look at that in a second. But, but the older generation of Israelites they died before they reached the promised land. Why? Why did God kill them off in the desert? Because of their disobedience and their unbelief. Hebrews 3, 16-19 says, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was God angry forty years? Was it not with those who sinned whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that He would not enter His rest? But to those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter because of their unbelief, their lack of faith. Paul says something similar in 1 Corinthians 10. And I do want you to turn there with me. Turn over a few books to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we'll start reading at verse 1 in 1 Corinthians 10. We'll read verses 1 to 6. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea. 
all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. That's Holy Spirit food. Capital S, spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the extent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So Paul says in essence here that all the Hebrews who came out of Egypt partook of the sacraments. We can call them sacraments. They were baptized, it says, in the cloud and in the sea. Psalm 77 says that God poured out the cloud, poured out rain on them as they went through. Paul apparently is maybe has that in mind. They were baptized. They ate the manna, which Paul calls spiritual food. They drank the water from the rock, which Paul calls spiritual drink. They were baptized. They partook of the Lord's Supper, as it were, every day. But, Paul says, God was not pleased with them. And He killed them. He judged them because they were idolaters. Because they lusted after evil things. Verse 6 in 1 Corinthians 10 says. Verse 6, these things became our examples so that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. So the lesson here is it's possible to be baptized, to go to church every week, to partake of the bread and wine each time as it passes by, and be under God's judgment to be spiritually dead even. If you are more loyal to your lusts than you are to the Lord, if you're more allied with your sin than you are with your Savior, then you are still dead in your sins. And no amount of eating and drinking spiritual food and spiritual drink can save you from that. So now turn back to John 6. Verse 49 forces us to think about what kind of eating and drinking Jesus is talking about. The emph- he keeps using the verb to eat because the emphasis is on how we eat. Not so much what, but how. What does it mean to eat of His flesh and drink of His blood? Well, first, let's consider carefully what it does not mean. The eating and drinking of which Christ speaks does not mean literal eating and drinking. That's not the primary reference here. Jesus was not referring at least not primarily, to the Lord's Supper. He had not instituted it yet. And he was talking about something that his listeners could do then. Now his words have no, no doubt have application to communion. But the eating and drinking 
that Jesus is talking about go far beyond what happens at the Lord's table. We can say that it's not about the Lord's table, but then we can say that the Lord's table is about this. The Lord's table points to this discourse in John 6. It points us to it, but it goes beyond just the Lord's table. You see, it's possible to partake of the Lord's Supper, to drink, to eat the bread and drink the wine, and yet to fail to eat of Christ and drink of eat of his flesh and drink of his blood in the way that Jesus means in John 6. It's also possible to truly eat and drink of Christ apart from the Lord's table. The eating and drinking that Jesus is talking about in John 6 can take place at any time, on any day of the week, because this eating and drinking is something that happens in the inward man, in, the, in your heart, not just in your mouth. It's internal rather than external primarily. It's an invisible reality that happens in the inner person. John Calvin said that the eating of which Jesus speaks is the continuous eating of faith. That's a good summary. Eating Christ's flesh and drinking His blood refers to the uninterrupted fellowship with Christ that we have by faith. And this fellowship can be enjoyed by anyone at any time by faith in Christ alone. John 6, in fact, helps us to understand what Jesus means by the eating and drinking. By by comparing parallel verses in this chapter, we can determine what Jesus meant by the metaphor of eating and drinking His flesh and His blood. You should have your Bibles open to John 6 again. And look up at verse 40 that we covered a few weeks ago. It says, verse 40, John 6, verse 40, And this is the will of Him who sent Me, that everyone who sees the Son or beholds the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life. And I will raise Him up at the last day. That verbiage should sound familiar. We just read it in our passage today. So according to verse 40, what is required for eternal life? To have eternal life, you must behold the Son and believe in the Son. Everyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life and will be raised up at the last day, Jesus says. Now look at verse 54 in our passage today and see how it parallels it. It says, Whoever eats My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Both verse 40 and verse 54 tell us when we take them together what a person must do to have eternal life and to be raised up at the last day. Verse 40 says you must believe in Jesus. Verse 54 says that you must eat and drink of Jesus. This teaches us that eating Christ's flesh and drinking His blood is another way of talking about believing in Him. It's another way of talking about living faith in the living God through Jesus. Eating and drinking of Christ means receiving Him, believing in Him, entrusting yourself to Him, embracing Him, clinging to Him. 
Now, why does Jesus use such vivid language to talk about what it means to really trust in Christ in a saving way? He didn't just speak of eating and drinking, even. He speaks of eating flesh, His flesh, and drinking blood, His blood. What's the purpose of this graphic language, this imagery? Well, it's sacrificial. It points us to sacrifice. The flesh and blood of the Son of Man refers to the sacrifice of His body on the cross. He's saying, I will give my flesh for the life of the world. In that future tense, He's pointing to the cross. He's pointing us to His sacrifice. Now, the Jews that Jesus is addressing... They wanted Jesus to be a powerful, political Messiah who would raise up a military and establish world dominance in Jerusalem on His throne right there in the capital city of Israel. But Jesus came to be a Passover lamb. Remember John's confession back in John 1.29. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And how will Jesus become God's Lamb who takes away the sin of the world? By giving of His own flesh, His own body on the cross for the life of the world. That's what Jesus says at the end of verse 51. John 6.51 at the end, and the bread that I shall give is My flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. All the references, and there are many, to flesh and blood in John 6 point straight to the sacrifice of Christ. They point straight to the cross where Christ died for sinners by giving up His life by giving His flesh and blood for us to eat, to partake of. Every time Jesus refers to His flesh and blood in John 6, you should set before your mind the atoning sacrifice of Christ that satisfied God's wrath that would have remained on you forever had He not done that for you. You should think about the suffering that Jesus endured in His own body On the tree, as Peter puts it. On the cross, Jesus redeemed you by becoming your substitute. He took your penalty. He took all of God's anger and wrath on Himself because you couldn't bear it. He offered up His flesh and blood for you, for your salvation. That's what this passage is about. To be saved, to have eternal life, all you must do is eat His crucified flesh and drink His crucified blood. This means you must receive the death of Christ as the sacrifice for your sins. Not just the sins of the world, but for yours in particular. You must believe in Christ crucified for your salvation. 
And you must look nowhere else. You must partake of nothing else to be saved. And this reality, this is an inward and spiritual act of the heart that God works in you when He saves you. It's an inward act and it's an ongoing act. Not a one-time deal. It's, an external, it's not an external act. It's an internal act. And it's a continuous reality. Eating and drinking. You must believe in Jesus and receive His work on the cross. Not just one time, not just one day, but all the way to the end of your life. In verse 56, Jesus says, He, he who eats My flesh and drinks My blood abides in Me and I in Him. And there's an ongoing aspect here. If you're truly eating Christ's flesh and drinking His blood, then you will continue to abide in Him. And He in you. That means you will continue to walk with Him and live in Him and live for Him. And He will be living through you. The promise of eternal life is only for those who continue in the faith until the end. It's for those who believe in their heart that Jesus died and rose from the dead until the end of their lives, of their life. So if you're eating and drinking the flesh and blood of Jesus on your dying day, then you can die knowing that you will be with Jesus and that He will raise you up when He returns on the last day. If you're not walking with Jesus on your dying day, if you're not partaking of Him, if you're not trusting in Him and entrusting yourself to Him, then it may be worse for you than even for Capernaum. So what's it mean? Let's go a little deeper in what it means to partake of His flesh and blood. Whenever you feel guilt because of your sinfulness and you lay hold of Christ and His cross and you trust in His atoning sacrifice alone for your sins and you endeavor to repent and to walk in the newness of life, then you are eating the flesh and drinking the blood of your Savior. Whenever you look to the cross of Christ for your salvation from sin, your soul is feeding on Christ's sacrifice just as surely as your body feeds on physical food every day. You see, the, the object of our faith is Christ. And in this passage, it focuses in on the cross of Christ. Christ on the cross what He did for us on the cross. So when you partake, you are, when you are eating and drinking the sacrifice that takes away your guilt. You are eating and drinking the atonement that Christ made for your sins through His death on Calvary. One of the things we learn in this passage is that Christ's atoning sacrifice is absolutely necessary for eternal life. There is no salvation without the cross. God's wrath 
had to be satisfied. Your sins and mine had to be paid for. Jesus says in verse 53, there is no possibility of you having life in you unless you're eating and drinking of the Son of Man's flesh and blood. Verse 54 and verse 58 make it clear that only those who partake of the atonement of Christ will live forever with Christ. Just as there was no safety for the Israelites in Egypt who did not eat the Passover lamb on the night when the firstborn sons were slain, so there is no safety for you. There is no life for you, for the sinner who does not eat the flesh of Christ and drink of His blood. What are some of the implications of this passage? First, faith in Christ's atonement is a personal act. It must be a personal act. No one can eat and drink for you. Therefore, you must lay hold of Christ. You must receive Him and believe in His name to the end. You must abide in Him and allow Him to abide in you. You must seek after Him and find Him in His Word and in prayer. You must have fellowship with your Savior. Second, faith in Christ's atonement ought to be a daily act. Abiding in Christ does not allow for taking days off. You need food every day. You need daily spiritual food more than you need daily physical food. Do you believe that? You need it more than once a week or once a month. Therefore, you must lay hold of Christ every day. You must receive Him and believe in His name every day. You must abide in Him and allow Him to abide in you every day. You must seek after Him and find Him in His Word and in prayer every day. You must cultivate communion with Christ every day. Just as you never fail to come to the dinner table every day. Third, faith in Christ's atonement is an act that can be felt. When you eat a good meal, you get up from the table feeling energized, strengthened, nourished, refreshed. Your body immediately begins to feel the benefits, the satisfaction of having eaten. In the same way, when you pursue Christ and renew your faith in Him, your, your soul will feel the better for it. Your inward man will be nourished, renewed with the hope and the peace and the joy that only Christ can give, that only comes to those who are abiding in Christ. Fourth, if you don't hunger and thirst for Christ and His righteousness on the cross, then you won't eat and drink of it. 
If you don't hunger and thirst for Christ, you won't eat and drink of Him. If you have no appetite for Jesus, then you won't be driven to partake of Him the way you're driven to the dinner table. If Jesus doesn't satisfy you, then you'll never be filled by Him. You won't really want to be. In his commentary on this passage, John Calvin laments, how few are there who are satisfied with Christ alone? We think of John Calvin as a theologian because he was, but his writings are very devotional and I found them very helpful. How few there are who are satisfied with Christ alone. That's a convicting lament. So what about you? Does Christ satisfy you? What are you doing to develop your appetite for spiritual food? If your number one craving is not Christ, then what are you doing about it? Do you see it as a problem? Are you moved to cultivate better appetites? The food of this world, which so many people are gorging on, even people in the church, the food of the world will perish in the using. And it will not nourish your soul before it perishes. Your soul will never be satisfied by retirement plans or alcohol or having a lot of friends or getting the right job or meeting the right spouse or having the ideal family or accomplishing all your life goals. It will never be satisfied by entertainment or success or power or security or finding your niche or finding your community. All of those things that we grasp for are substitutes for the real thing so often. The only thing that can give your soul what it's been looking for, what it will always long for, whether you recognize it or not, is the bread of God that came down from heaven. The bread of God that gives life to the world. Because it's God Himself. See, God doesn't just give us bread. He is the bread. Everything else and everyone else will fail to fill you up. Jesus is the only true food. He's the only true drink there is for your soul. This is the truth. And if your life is not in line with this truth, with this reality, you need to develop a new appetite, new cravings, new hunger, new thirst. You need to cultivate a hunger and thirst for Jesus Christ. Let's pray and ask Him to help us do this. Father, thank You for sending Jesus for our salvation. Jesus, thank You for giving Your flesh and blood to us for our salvation. Holy Spirit, 
help us to trust in Jesus alone, to partake of Him alone, both for eternal life and for abundant life in this world. We confess that we need help because our hearts wander. We need help to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Please help us this week to do it better than we did last week. In Jesus' name, amen.